Always build each other up. Be cheerful. Hold on to what is good. And thank God no matter what happens. God himself will put you together, spirit, soul, and body. If he said it, he'll do it. Today's talk is um, the last one in the series that we have been doing in First Thessalonians. Now, for those of you who have been following these messages through the prepared study material, um, you would thought that this is the second to last one. What we're actually done is we're swapping them over. Okay, so first shall be last and the last shall be second to last. All right, so what we've got here is a, a swap that just worked for us, long story short, but just trust us. Okay, no big deal, I'm not gonna explain why. Anyway, that's the way it is. So we're going to be looking at this, uh, these last few words of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, but let's just get our head in the right space and so I'll ask us to bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for scripture which reveals to us your will through your word. And at times like this, it's really important for our spirit to be engaged with what it is that you are saying to us personally. It's important for us to have our mind sharpened to your word. And we just pray, Lord, that for each of us, we would have a word in season, but collectively would also be able to grow stronger through this, this message today. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was back in 1982 in California when a man by the name of Laurie Walters decided that he had a, had a great idea. <clears throat> and the great idea was that uh, he'd always wanted to be an aviator. And so he took his deck chair and he tied a whole lot of helium balloons to it, anchored it down until such a time as he was ready for liftoff. He grabbed a six pack of beer and some sandwiches and then had his uh, friends cut the rope and away he went. Well, he went five kilometers up, five kilometers up sitting in a deck chair to the point where he was floating above um, the LAX, Los Angeles airport um, airspace. And uh, airline pilots were ringing in the tower saying, you've got no idea what I think I've just seen. <laughs> As you could only imagine. So uh, eventually he, he made his way down. He took with him a slug gun, a BB gun, and he popped the balloons to the point where he'd slowly descend and he got down. And he was asked, why did you do it? He says, uh, it's just something that I've always wanted to do. So go figure. Okay, no other reason, just something I've always wanted to do. And for those of you who'd like to follow up on the story, apparently the deck chair is currently residing in the San Diego Air and Space Museum. And so part of aviation history now in California. Well, how do I transition from there? Well, I'm transitioning there because from there, great idea to talk about the church. See, the church is God's idea, and it's a great idea, okay? And it's a crazy idea. It's a crazy idea because why would God entrust his reputation to people like us? Seriously, okay? He must have great faith in our ability to be more and more like his son Jesus and grow in that grace and grow in that understanding. Otherwise, it's a very, very bad idea. And I'll come back to this in a moment or two, but this idea of the church is what Paul is referring to 
when he signs off this letter to the Thessalonians. And so it's this letter to the Thessalonians that Paul has been instructing people on about, about life and death, about heaven, about judgment, about a whole lot of things, about just living a good, peaceful life. And we get to the last few words, and this is what Paul says. They're very simple words. He says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, we've all read this sort of greeting. We've all said this sort of greeting to people before. Uh, but what in here entails is, a, is something spiritual. He's talking here about prayer. Something emotional and affectionate. He's talking about greeting one another. And something intellectual about getting alongside each other and reading the scriptures together. And then, of course, there's something there about the whole gospel itself, about the grace of God, which is that, that word that describes everything about the Christian faith, grace. Yeah. So there's a lot in this little passage, and often we just flippantly go through it, but it's actually loaded, completely loaded with information about what it means to be the church, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and how to do, do this life together. And so... What we're going to do is we're going to go through this as we do. And uh, first part of it is, says, Paul says to the, to the Thessalonian church, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Now, Paul doesn't say this out of any sense of arrogance. He says this out of humility. Paul knows that as one of the apostles in the church, one of the leaders in the church, the guy who set up the Thessalonian church in the first instance, he knows that he can call upon these folks to pray for him because of the tasks that he has to do. And every one of us needs prayer. And if you can pull people around you, say, look, let's pray for one another that we might be the best that we can be in God and ensure that God's will is being outworked in our lives. That is the perfect scenario for you to create. Is that fair to say? And Paul knows probably above all that he needs the support, the prayerful support of other people. Now, a lot of you will realize that a few years ago, I was the Baptist national leader, just finished that six months ago. I did it for seven years. And the first thing I did is ask people to pray for me. And I have to admit, now looking back six months ago, there was indeed a real grace upon my life to be able to do what I did and to be able to mix two jobs together and not go crazy. Okay, so people were investing in me through prayer and not only just folks here locally, but around the whole of the country. And it was just remarkable for me to experience that grace, that season of my life where God's spirit was so active, so present, so powerful in ways that he, I'd see his hand going ahead of me in ways that I'd never, ever anticipated before, never experienced before. And it was a wonderful experience. Uh, one older couple, some of you will know, by the name of Rob and Wynne Thompson, they're a couple from Whanganui, and they've been missionaries and they've been prayer intercessors around the world for a long time, in New Zealand, I should say, praying for the world. And uh, I, I hooked up with them and we would talk by email and uh, they would pray for me and pray for Michaela. And one particular time we heard that they were in Rotor, uh, sorry, not Rotor, Papamoa. They've got a home over there, a holiday home. And so we went over and we spent a morning with them and they prayed for us. It was just, just wonderful, these dear old saints. And at the end of the, the time we had together, Wynne had a bit of a tear in her eye and I said, oh, what's, what's, what's happening here? And she says, well, you wouldn't believe it. She said, but today's my 80th birthday 
And it's just the greatest gift of God that I have you in my home to pray for today. And with that, you just get to see what it is about these folks that just love the Lord and love to pray and know the the power of that. And so it's a privilege, isn't it, to have people like that in your lives. So, you know, I say, please pray for each other. Pray for us. Um, Not so long ago, about a month ago, uh, I had a situation where I had to meet some folks in my office here uh, in the early afternoon. Very difficult scenario going on in their lives, very tough conversations going on. And uh, we got through that conversation. And I've got to say, it was one of those scenarios where, by the grace of God, we got to a good resolution. And uh, about half an hour later, I get this text on my cell phone from Tom Frew, the founding pastor of this church. And Tom says what he always tells us. He says, Craig, Aileen and I pray for you every day, which is amazing, isn't it? We've been here 25, nearly 25 years now uh, since we took on the senior leadership here. And he said, but just this afternoon, we really felt we needed to pray specifically for you because we knew there was something of a real challenge that you're going through right now. And so I had the ability to text back to him and say, wow, you wouldn't believe it, but thanks so much for that prayer because it was a really tough, tough situation that we were in. And by God's grace, you know. And so here's Tom and Aileen, well into their 80s now, still partnering with the growth and the life of the church. That is what your prayer life is all about. That's what your spiritual life is all about. You don't have to be able to, you know, run like the wind or soar like an eagle when you have prayer in your life. You are engaged in God's purposes. You are participating in the life of the church. Yeah? That's what prayer does. Of course, there's lots to pray about. We live in a world that is is challenged, that is broken, that is struggling, and we all know these things. We only have to turn on the news and we find this. And so we as the church are this alternative community that is creating what God calls us to be, a light on a hill. I've got a little video that I'd like us to watch now. Uh, it's, it's a song. It's about 10 years old. It's been around, around a while. It hasn't, hasn't lost any of its grunt. It's still a great song. Uh, the band's called the Black Eyed Peas, and the song is Where Is the Love? So um, it's a rap song, so you have to lean in and listen to the words. Okay, if you want to get up and have a boogie, well, up to you. Okay, I'll play it now. Big message, isn't it? Big message. Very simply put, very profoundly put. And, uh, you know, the question is, where, in the love, where, where, where do we find the love? We've only got one world. We've got to make the difference. And uh, all those internal structures that we uh, have in our world around us continue to, um, you know, pull people, people down. That's essentially what they're saying. But we as the church, of course, have been called to have this, uh, this point of difference, this creative way in which we can engage with the world around us, led by God's Spirit in a way that we can make a difference to become what Christ calls us to be, that, that light on a hill. And so as a, as a church, we're engaged to bring this one love. Now, here's a scripture for you, which I don't want you to laugh at, but uh, we've got to unpack it. 
Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. Now, in the day, in the day, there was a philosophy around the Roman and Greek thinking, which was enhanced by this guy here. Uh, his, he's a bit of a grumpy old looking dude, isn't he? His name's Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius was a Stoic philosopher. Now, Stoicism was invented uh, by a guy called Zeno, Zeno from Cyprus, okay? And what they said is that emotions are dangerous. You should never engage with your emotions. Leave motions aside, park them up. Okay, so the way you live your life is like this. Okay, the dog died. It's my wife's birthday. My daughter got married. I got terminal cancer. Stoic, staunch. Okay, and the goal is there is that whatever life throws at you, be it happy or sad, you're to maintain your emotional posture, okay? It's a bigger philosophy than that, but what it did is it actually tapped into a, a way of thinking that served the Greeks and the Romans of the day, particularly the Romans. Remember, the Romans were at their peak during the times of Christ, and as much as they had taken over large parts of the Mediterranean, and so Stoic philosophy was a real win for them because they had people in the education areas of their life, teaching people to be staunch, teaching people to be strong, to stand up. And so the Romans would march, literally legions march on other nations and take them over. And so affection, as we understand it now, emotions weren't to be trusted and they were only to be preserved or reserved within the closest relationships, uh, maybe within a family, children, husband and wife, but to spread emotional love out beyond those those immediate contexts was not a known thing. It was more of a, um, you know, a sort of formal greetings. Uh, the handshake was one of those formal greetings. We read in scripture that we should extend the right hand of fellowship to one another. But the handshake really originated when somebody presented an open hand. It said, look, I don't have a sword here. I come in good faith. I'm not here to kill you. So I extend my, my hand to you as a gesture of uh, the fact that I'm not here to kill you. And so... Within this environment of Stoicism, when Paul says to that group of believers, that little fellowship in Thessalonica, that you should greet one another with a holy kiss, this was a complete contradiction to the way in which the world was operating. Five times in scripture, Paul says, greet each other with a holy kiss. Okay, so it's something of an affectionate greeting, which again was to separate out the Christians from the way in which the rest of the world did life together. And this is a really important thing for us to understand because this, this love that we get questioned about, where is the love, is something that we are called to live by example as a community, as a community. And so as Christians, we're called to do things that maybe others don't do. That is, for example, make friends with strangers. You know, we're told to give stranger a coat if they, if they don't have one. Give a, a stranger a cup of cold water in Jesus' name to extend hospitality. Okay, all of these things are really, really important as they reflect what it means to be Jesus in our world. And maybe it could be as simple as us saying, every Sunday, I'm just going to say hello to somebody that I've never met before. Okay, could be as much as that. Now, we come to church, we all get pretty familiar 
with each other in ways and we end up sitting in similar places and we end up sitting at tables in the cafe and we end up sort of being a bit like uh, Hilda Ogden and Nina Charples in the snug in Coronation Street. Okay, some of you will know who I'm talking about here. Uh, where it's all very familiar. But just to reach out to somebody and get to know their name. You know what happens? Magical things happen when you get to know other people. You know what? This happens. This is a true story. This has happened millions of times around the world where people reach out to each other and say, hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Want to come for lunch? Yeah, that's great. I've got kids. you got kids. They meet. They fall in love, get married. Next thing you know, you've got grandchildren by the person that you said hello to. This is what happens. Has it, have you ever seen it happen? Of course you have. Happens all the time. That's how life happens. Okay? That's how life happens. And so what we're asked to do is to make, make friends of strangers. Second thing I want to point out is that um, no one has the right to perfect friends. Okay? No one has the right to perfect friends. Has anybody here got a perfect friend? Doubt it. And in the life of the church, you will not find that the church is filled with perfect people. I have some odd conversations at times with folks. Okay? Of course, it'd be none of you, because you're perfect. But, um, you know, this is a large church, hundreds of people involved in the life of this church. And I can remember some years ago, um, a woman coming to me going, hey, Craig, I've been settling in here in the life of the church for a while now, really enjoying it. But do you know, the other day I saw a person that I had a run in a few years ago, and I don't like that person. I'm like, oh, what, what are you going to do about that? I'm leaving. So what do you mean? I'm leaving. I can't go to fellowship and worship knowing that that person's at the other side of the room. And I said, Really? Oh, well, there's not much I can do about that. Maybe they wanted me to ask the other person to leave. I don't know. But really? Seriously? The world is full of imperfect people. Always. And the other thing I'd probably throw in here at this time is the Bible never entitles you to perfect leaders either. You find in the Bible the perfect leader, and I'll become that person. Okay? But you try to find a perfect leader for me, I bet you won't. You know, we look at uh, the Apostle Paul, whose books we're reading now, letters we're reading now, he was guilty of murdering Christians before he became a follower of Jesus. Yeah. What about King David? Wrote most of the Psalms, fantastic prophet. Everything about him, they, they celebrate in Israel. Yeah, he, he murdered people, committed adultery. Solomon, he was into money like you wouldn't believe, had too many wives for his own good. Yeah. I read that stuff and I think I'm doing pretty well, actually. <laughs> but no one, no one is entitled to a, a perfect leader or a perfect friend. You know, the only thing that you're entitled to do is continue to work on yourself. You see, we think we're doing everybody a favor by pointing out what's wrong with them. Just keep on working on this, you know? Um, I, I don't do this so much anymore, but uh, in the years gone by, I've um, taken weddings and uh, I have this big piece of four by two. Right, sort of hidden around the back, and um, and I start my little talk when people are getting married, and I grab this four by two, and I say to the husband, I said, "This is what you need to have a perfect marriage." Of course, it sparks a little bit of interest, you know. Um, people lean in and say, "What's going on here?" And uh, and then I say to the husband. The scripture says that you've got to take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of anybody else's. Get the point? Yeah. You see, none of us are perfect, therefore we shouldn't expect the perfect 
in other people. Church community is filled with grace so that we can accept the differences. And the differences is also about diversity, diversity in age, diversity in culture, diversity in experience, even diversity in theology. You know, we can, we can live with the tensions that different people have different ideas. Now, uh, during the, this last couple of days, I've been down in Topol. Um, my son Taylor lives in Wellington, and he, he gave me a ring and said, hey, look, Dad, I'd like to go to the motorsport happening at Topol, and would you like to come and we'll hang out together? And I'm like, cool. So I rang some folks and said, look, can we borrow your house for a couple, for a couple of days? And that's all good. So we met there. And um, anyway, on the Saturday, this Saturday morning, we were just about ready to head down to the motorsport. And there was a knock on the door. And um, I thought, oh, okay. So I opened the door. And it was Jehovah's Witnesses. And, um, and I thought, oh, okay, this is interesting. And this, this guy pulls out a pamphlet, hands it to me, tries to hand it to me, and says, uh, you know, we live in terrible times, don't we? The Bible talks about terrible times happening. It's all written in the Bible. It's all predicted, all prophesied. And, uh, you know, we really need to get our lives right with God. Are you interested in spiritual things? And I went, oh, yeah, sort of, yeah. And so he started quoting scripture and I started pushing back, started quoting scripture, I started pushing back. And just a gentle time, you know, a gentle conversation. And, uh, and then, then I told him pretty quickly, actually, that I was a, a Baptist minister. And so he takes another tack and he starts angling it certain ways. All the time, though, he was trying to bring something my way. And I was just gently reasoning him around to another point of persuasion. In the meantime, I saw my son, who was almost rolling on the ground on the other side there, like, I'm so glad I didn't answer the door, you know? <laughs> and, um, and then finally, the conversation ended. And um, when he said, he looked at me and says, do you know there was a war in the heavenlies between the, the angels and the demons? I said, well, really? And he says, yeah, 1914, it happened just before the war. And I'm like, oh, if you're going to get extra biblical on me, mate, you've left me behind. You know, this is all a little bit too much for me. So I said, oh, I better go, to, better go. I've got to go. <laughs> you know? So the conversation finished there. But um, the folks who own the house and one of them's present here, I'd just like to let you know that I told them that my brother who owns the house will be here every week during summer. <laughs> and he'd love you to come back and speak with him because he's really interested in these things. All right, that's, I didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I wanted to, but I didn't say that. Okay. The thing about diversity is that uh, we are all part of that diversity. We all think we're normal. It all depends on who you talk to, isn't it? We all think the way we do life is normal. Normal is all relative. It's the way culture has worked around the world. And so diversity is humbling ourselves to be able to say, your view of the world is a, is a, is a view that you're entitled to, and we are to engage with you. We are to work with you as friends and work this through. Now, when we talk here in Scripture, or when Paul talks in here about Scripture, uh, about uh, having, greeting each other with a holy kiss, we have these terrible images uh, of, of, being, <laughs> of, of being attacked <laughs> by, um, by these, um, you know, desperate lips. Um, that's pretty hideous, actually. Yeah. The woman whose picture that is, I won't disclose who it is. <laughs> so we're working on it as a... Um, we're working on it as a, um, as a greeting team. 
And we've set a target, we've set a goal of what a holy kiss should look like and, and we're on the way, but we're gonna get there. This is the, you know, <laughs> greeted like this, be great, wouldn't it? In the car park, okay. I think that's the kiss of the century, wouldn't you? Famous, isn't it, that kiss after World War II? And uh, one of the soldiers coming home, getting off a ship and being met by, well, we trust it's his wife. <laughs> I hope it wasn't his sister. So Jesus said this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Look, one of the, seriously, one of the biggest tensions that the church has found over the years has been this tension about whether we should pour all of our resources, energy, and our love into the community only, making ourselves a little bit like a silo, you know, a little bit like a, a commune uh, or monastery. You know, because the goal there is that if we can pour all our resources into making this church this fire of love, then the ideology is, and this, I've got a great deal of sympathy for this, is that you would be beating people away at the door to be part of it. Because it would be such an alternative community to what it is that society is all about. Of course, Jesus said, we shall, they shall know you're my disciples because you love one another. But also, he said that we've got to open the doors and love those who are no longer a part of us. So we live in this big word tension again of loving those who aren't a part of us but also ministering to those who are part of the community of God okay so when Jesus said they will know you're my disciples because you love one another if you love one another um, that's to me is a real uh, goal and a real desire but it also operates in the tension of making Jesus known to others one of the more interesting moves of God that happened throughout Europe in the Middle Ages, in the Dark Ages actually, was after the, the great evangelism that happened in Ireland through St. Patrick. They say that Ireland was pagan before Patrick arrived and Christian at the end of his life. And he was a powerful, amazing man of God. But what happened after that period of time was when after Patrick died, the Irish decided it was their responsibility to share the word of God with the rest of Europe. And it's a long, slow story that meets itself out through centuries, about three centuries. But what would happen is these communities of people would leave one town or one city and they would go to another city and they would set up there and they would live there just their whole lives. And they would permeate that community and they would live a Christian life. And over seasons of time, over decades, the community would see that this Christianity is the real deal. And that group of people would then send out others to other cities. This is very informal, but a long, long vision. And over 300 years, Europe restored itself from those dark ages, as they call them, to become a Christian community again. Why? Because people took the simplicity of the gospel and living it in community seriously enough to use that whole thing as a, as a mission endeavor to the rest of the world. Jesus said that, uh, sorry, Paul said uh, that we should um, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. A little bit like I said before, no one's perfect. But if we accept one another, we begin this process of making a conversation and making a journey together with each other. Now, um, one of the things that really blows my mind is how you can meet people who are very, very different to you, but then you find out that they are a follower of Christ and you have this connection, don't you? I, I was on a, uh, a trip one time back in 2002, actually, 
to Willow Creek, to Chicago. And I was on a flight from Los Angeles to Chicago. And I was sitting in the bulkhead seat, you know, where you just got a little bit more leg room there and the, and the air stewardess will sit down and strap herself in as you go into land. Uh, so I'll give you an idea of where I was sitting. And I sat next to this guy and I introduced myself to him. He introduced himself to me. I said, hi, I'm Craig. I'm from New Zealand. I'm a church minister. I'm going to a conference in Chicago. And he says, oh, hi, Craig. I'm a, um, a nuclear physicist and I walk, work and walk on, walk and work on uh, nuclear submarines for the, new, for the American military. And I'm like, Okay, this is going to be a good conversation. I've got lots in, lots in common with this. <laughs> anyway, it didn't take long before what he did was expand on his story. He said, look, I'm uh, essentially self-employed and I get contracted all around the different Navy bases within the United States to work on these submarines. But he said, what my wife and I have done is we have committed ourselves to five-year increments so that we set up base in one city for five years, and then we move to another city. And each time we set ourselves up, we plant a church with people who are in the city who are interested. And then we move to another city and we do the same thing again. So he's taken his flexibility and he said, look, I, and I earn, he said, I, I earn stack loads of money too. And he says, so it's no problem, you know. So what he was saying is that his whole being is engaged in this. And so it was a really amazing conversation we had together. And I remember distinctly that as we heard that call that we're going to land and everybody get ready for the landing, uh, we said to each other, hey, look, let's, let's just pray for each other. And so the air stewardess sat down and we were praying for each other. They probably thought we had complete lack of confidence in the pilot, but <laughs> there we were praying for each other and we, uh, we opened our eyes as we bumped and to touch that landing. So what I'm saying is that the Christian community has this huge diversity about it, but in Christ we have this commonality that no one can separate us from. We are, we are tied together spiritually. We're tied together through so many different things that we're part of. So let's get back to finish off this, uh, this final few words. Paul says, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. Now, this is a simple thing to say, and it's a simple observation to make. Scripture in the day was read. I think I've said before that it was only around about the fourth century that any form of reading was done silently to yourself. Now, you just got to think of that. Silently to yourself, like we might do over a coffee, reading a magazine or reading a book, is a relatively modern phenomenon in the sense that it's only been around 1,600 years. Prior to that, any reading was done in a public way. Reading, writing was done for reading, and reading was public. And so... When this instruction is given, it was basically an instruction to say, gather the saints, gather the church, and have this big conversation, not just a letter, but engage with what I'm saying here. Paul was known personally to these people, so they would have had an image of Paul right in the midst of them as this letter was read. It would be like Paul was present amongst them and instructing them. And so over the course of this letter, we've seen how it is that Paul's talked about about heaven, he's talked about judgment, he's talked about dying, he's talked about just working and living a simple life with your hands. All of these really good earthy instructions on what it means to be the community of God, the people of God. And now he's telling them these points of difference about accepting one another, about greeting each other warmly with that, with that holy kiss, showing affection for one another in contradiction to the way that the world does around you. And so 
Paul finishes then with these words. And you'd think these words sound simple, but they are all-encompassing when he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The grace. There's one word that summarizes the whole of the gospel, the whole of the story of Jesus, the whole of the New Testament. It's that word grace, isn't it? It's God's unmerited favor for us. God loved us before the foundation of the world, before things were even put in motion. He loved us with a plan that would see us restored through the brokenness of our own sin, through the brokenness of of what we had to offer to God, which was very, very little. And by way of repentance, by way of his death on the cross. And so when Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you, you could interpret it this way and say that grace is the energy and the purposes of God operating in your life. The energy of God and the purposes of God. Maybe I should have put them around the other way. But purpose is God's plan working in and through your life for you. But not only does he present you a plan, he gives you the energy, he gives you that power, he gives you that anointing, that grace upon your life to fulfill the purposes that he has for you. So this, these final words are very, very powerful, very big. And we should be able to sleep easily on them because we know that we are embraced by them. That whatever you're going through, God's going to give you the grace to go through it. Whatever you're called to, he will make a way for you to ensure that his purposes are outworked in your life. And not only that, but we're called to do it together. You know, we need to be, we need to be people who are advocating for each other's giftedness and calling. We should be there as each other's cheerleaders. And this grace is all-encompassing. This grace, don't interpret this grace as just simply blessing, kindness, and love. Grace means that it gives you the ability to handle your life in the same way that Jesus handled his life. And that meant that there was mis, mis, uh, I should say, misjudgment upon him. There was uh, sacrifice that he had to make. There was suffering that he had to endure. This is part of the grace that God gives you. Don't don't be fooled into thinking that this blessing of God, this grace of God is all about you living a perfect life. Don't be sucked into that gospel which says that Jesus is all about living your best life now and anything less than perfection is sinfulness or suffering is not part of what God is going to build you and strengthen you with. I don't know about you, but times when I've had real difficulties in my life, Those are the times when I've drawn closest to God. I've cried out to God. And be it very, very difficult, I look back and I see what has happened in my life and what has shaped me. And so I come back to this uh, this illustration that I used earlier on about about, uh, Laurie Walters going up in the balloon. What a great idea. And the church is a great idea. But you don't have to be much of a marksman to shoot a balloon, do you? You don't have to be much of a marksman to pop the whole ideology of the church or to criticise the church. You know, you you don't don't, don't think you're clever doing that, you know? Probably sitting on a chair, you've probably got an angle by which you could miss of about 40 degrees, to be perfectly honest. So the same thing when it comes to criticising the church. Don't think you're clever by criticising it. Complete opposite. What we're looking for in Scripture is for us to be able to say we are imperfect people being loved by a perfect God 
being taken on an imperfect journey to a perfect destination. Okay? Now, that's not pie in the sky when you die stuff. That is the biblical reality of the fact that we live in a fallen world. And by doing this life together, we have an opportunity to strengthen one another and to be strengthened by other people. And to know the work of God in your life is a blessing that only God can do and only God can bring. And a community of people to help you through this journey is a blessing. Fair enough? Let's stand and I'll pray for us. God, we, we cry out with you and the world around us and we say, where is the love? And yet we find love defined for us in the crucified, crucified Jesus, where love paid a price. And for us, Lord, to be that perfect community that we all aspire to, uh, there's prices to be paid on an ongoing basis. A price of sacrifice, a price of commitment, a price of suffering at times, the price of giving love where the requirement is to turn the other cheek. A time when we will know you closely in a time when you will seem distant. But in all of these things, God, this is your way of perfecting us as the church. And so we're really, really grateful. Grateful, Lord, that uh, through scripture, we get to see people who echo our experience right from the beginning. People who knew they needed grace. Like Paul, they knew they needed prayer. That's us. That's each one of us. And so God, we thank you for your, your imperfect church because it allows for imperfect people like us to belong. We thank you, God, that you, you accept us as we are, but you love us enough to change us. We thank you that grace allows us in and your love keeps recreating us. So God, we... Um, we commit ourselves to you and maybe maybe in that commitment we need to put it into action by simply talking to people we don't know yet. Something simple like that can be transformation. And so God, we, we ask that you, you guide our hearts and guard our hearts from, from criticism. We recognize that uh, there's no perfect church, no perfect people around us that's probably a really good thing. So Lord, we, uh, we invite you just to lead us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.